0: Welcome to Crime Talk BK. Uh, we're your hosts, Joanna Purpich and Megan Duffy. Good morning. With guest host, Eula. And Flo. Flo's here and too. Flo. But I can't see her, so she doesn't count. <laughs>
1: oh, she's got to take, take issue. take uh, issue.
0: Those are Megan's cats, by the way, if anyone's really confused right now at mm. only hearing two voices. Two of the three. I don't know where the other one is. Um... Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> today we have a kind of a gnarly uh, subject. We're going to be covering Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, uh, inspired by the uh, Netflix docuseries that just came out. It That series is insanely
1: good, too. Yeah, it is good. If anybody hasn't watched it, watch it. Uh, it is... The whole series is interviews with the
0: actual detectives that worked on it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's really, really good.
0: That was a really cool way of forming this story. I honestly felt uh, I felt really bad for the victims and their families and i think that this is one of those cases where it's okay that we didn't hear i mean we did hear from them a little bit but i'd imagine it would have been like incredibly traumatizing yeah it's, i it's, was
1: i was surprised that the young girl that got kidnapped was on the show yeah um yeah i mean there were some of the victims some of the survivors some of the families but um Did you also find yourself getting a little infuriated?
0: Yes. I mean, I related so strongly to the, like, citizens of Los Angeles who are, like, watching the news and it's, like, another person found dead, you know, like, another home broken into. This time it's your neighbor. And every time there was another murder, it's, like, they had so many pieces of the puzzle. And... It's like, why did it take so long for him to get caught?
1: Well, I was watching it, and I was thinking, like,
0: those other
1: jurisdictions that were not helpful, mm-hmm. um, then fucking Diane Feinstein decided to just give it up, give the whole thing away. Um, I just... That whole dickwag jurisdictional thing that police departments go through was really not helpful.
0: It was infuriating. It was infuriating. And this was a, this was a, what, a five-month spree? Yeah, I mean. Let's see. It was, I think, almost a, so the very first murder was.
1: Of this series was March of 85 to August of to late August of
0: eighty five, he. Yeah. But he, he was killed someone in April of nineteen eighty four. It's just that are they weren't able to tie it back to him, and it's presumed that uh, he was killing people between eighty four and eighty five. Um, it's just that eighty five is June of, whenever it was in eighty five, is when people started really noticing it. Right. Yeah. Um. But before we get further into this, um. Let's just give, like, the world's biggest content warning.
1: It's, just, it's real fucked up. It's gonna be real fucked up. It's dark. It's yeah. violent. Um, triggers. This isn't your kind of material. Um, maybe skip this week. Yeah. As much as we love you.
0: Um, but, like, specifically, sexual assault, like assault of children, like, murder. And, I mean, I at least don't intend on getting into really graphic details, but, I mean, even talking about this generally is pretty gnarly. And I have to say is I, like, had a lot of trepidation watching the (laughs) Netflix show. Like, this is, like, a hard one. So... Um, well, I'm
1: not going to go into a lot of graphic detail either. You don't have to. There's enough material for our whole show to not go into the graphic detail. Yeah. Um,
0: There's if you're a lot, in... lot out there if you want to learn more. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot out there.
1: Um, I did find this really crazy tidbit um, that we'll discuss at the end. It's this weird sort of teeny bopper questionnaire he took when he was in prison. Oh, boy. Uh, So I'll cover that towards the end. It's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah.
0: He's like one of those... There's like one point where the detective said that he wouldn't have mind if Ramirez had gotten killed during his arrest. But he kind of wanted to question him just to see what someone's mind is like to have done these crimes. Mm-hmm. And it was like weird because on one hand I had like no interest in hearing from him in the documentary. Like I'm really happy. I mean, they did the doc after he died, but um, they were very sparse in using his own language, Mm -hmm. you know, like they didn't really give him any screen time. Uh, But then at the same time, it's like, Trying to wrap your head around evil. You know. Yeah.
1: So I got nothing. I it's hard. It's it's mind blowing. I mean, he's like I said. There's he's he is in my mind the worst serial killer because there was no pattern. There was no no pattern to his victims. No pattern to his crimes. He was a, you know, he was just um, a, 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 in his words, a Satan worshiping junkie. Right? Yeah. Now, yeah, the modern uh, Church of Satan will tell you that they don't murder people and then they worship nature, and but that's neither here nor there. This guy was, this guy was off the charts
0: evil. Yeah. Evil. And something that is also really striking about this case is that most serial killers have like a MO or like a type of person that they target Mm -hmm. and this guy I mean there were to some degree like the similarities was in like the violence but it wasn't really uh like the ages ranged from Nine on Wikipedia, but I think in the documentary it said age six, I think, was the youngest person. Mm -hmm. The oldest was 83. Yeah. Uh, 16 16 people survived the attacks. Mm -hmm. Um, Quite a few were murdered. He uh, ranged from, like, tying people up, but letting them live, raping some people, letting them go, killing people. He used guns, knives, machetes, a tire iron, a hammer. Like... I think that he just, or at least from the outside, he's just trying to cause terror. Yeah. You know? mm mm-hmm. um, And then I was wondering if you wanted to just go through the list of victims and survivors. hmm Just to kind of put them at the front. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because, again, it's like we just don't really have too much time to really go into any one person's life and make them a full person but yeah these are like people's kids and grandmas and siblings and yeah yeah. so
1: um June of 1984 Jenny Vinkow, who was 79
0: and then um let me see March 1985 there's uh, Maria Hernandez, uh, Dale, Yoshi, Okazaki. That same month, there's also Cy, Leon, Ronica Yu,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and Vincent and Maxine uh, Zazara. Mm-hmm. May, uh, May 14th, 1985,
1: Bill and Lillian Doy. Uh, Lillian survived the attack. May 29th, 1985, Mabel and Florence Lang sisters both survived initially but Belle died, later, Belle died later from her injuries and the next day Carol Kyle and her 11 year old son both survived. Uh,
0: July 1985 we have uh, Mary Louise Cannon and then uh, Whitney Bennett who survived the attack uh, Joyce Nelson, Sophie Dickman, both on the same day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joyce was killed. Sophie survived. Uh, Leah and Maxon Needing. And then uh, Chenarong and Somkid Kovahanath. And then their eight-year-old son. Uh, Somkid and their son survived the attack. Mm-hmm. Kristen Virginia Peterson
1: in August 6th, 1985... Both survived August 8th, 1985. Sakina and Elias Aboeth and their three-year-old son, Elias, died. Sakina and their son survived August 18th, 1985. Peter and Barbara Pan. Barbara survived the attack. Peter died Uh, August 24th, 1985. James Romero Jr. and his family um, attacked... No injuries because, uh, for some reason, Ramirez aborted the attack. And then that same night, Bill Carnes and Inez Erickson both survived.
0: Yeah. And it's just...
1: Uh... And then, oh, and then later, in 2009, it was found that he sexually assaulted and murdered a young girl in her home... Let me see if I can find her name. I just read it. Fernandez um, it, it was um, no no it was her name was Miley. They tied him by his DNA at the crime scene in 2009. Um,
0: that was April 1984. Okay. So uh, those are
1: all of the victims. Um, we're
0: pretty there's sure there are,
1: there's we're pretty sure there's a lot more. Because you don't go from, unless he was in jail, you don't go from June of 84 to March of 85 without committing crimes. Um, and according to the documentary, he's been a thieving little shit since he was a kid.
0: Yeah. Um. Do you want to go into uh, his very, very fucked up childhood?
1: Uh, Sure. He was born in El Paso, 1960. Uh, He was the youngest of five kids. Um, His dad is a uh, former Mexican police officer who became a laborer on um, some railways and uh, severely beat Richard and more than likely all of the children. Um, And then He had a special relationship with one of his older cousins. He was really close to, I don't want, no weirdness there. It was just like he was really close to this older guy who had spent time in Vietnam as a Green Beret and so rich.
0: Yeah. I just wonder, like, I don't know. Uh, I wonder if there was some sort of sexual abuse um richard i mean so his his cousin his older cousin is the um veteran that you're talking about mm -hmm. and he would share these polaroid photos of um people that he like killed in vietnam Mm -hmm. including like women he raped and these like very, like, violent, like, war c- crime, apocalypse now level yeah. <laughs> shit yeah. that he did with Richard when Richard is 12. hmm And I'm sure that had, like, a profound effect on Richard.
1: Well, that same cousin fatally shot his wife in front of Richard in 1973.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he got off, which is like, oh, my God. Yeah. So... Shortly after that, Richard
1: moves in with his sister and her husband Roberto, who apparently is an obsessive peeper, and he would take Richard on these like nighttime exploits to start peeping in into other people's windows and god only really knows what else. Yeah. Um, and this is also when he started using LSD. Great. Yeah.
0: Soup's fucking awesome. Yeah, oh, uh, Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Richard grows up to be a pretty dysfunctional teenager. Uh, while he was in school, he uh, worked at a holiday inn. And, uh, yeah, he would use his, the uh, pass key to rob people while they slept. Mm-hmm. And he eventually got fired because Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room. And then her, her husband returned and beat the shit out of him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but charges were eventually dropped because the couple is like out of state and they're just like, I'm not flying back to like deal with this kid. Yeah. So, so
1: it was to California <laughs> at the age of 22, right? But he's a young fucker. <laughs> um, so he arrives in California, and this is, um, what is this, 1982? hmm Yeah. So you're telling me that between 1982 and 1984, well, no, they that's not true. I was going to say he didn't commit any violent crimes because he did get arrested for stealing a car, which is that really unsettling black and white mugshot that we all know where he's actually still kind of good looking in mm-hmm. a very in a very unsettling sort of way because yeah. you know
0: who he is. Yeah.
1: Kind of creeps me out a little bit.
0: Um, it's also really bizarre that he committed all of these murders and was caught, I think, before the age of 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was... I don't
1: think he was convicted until he was 30, 31 years old.
0: But that's like really intense. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's no wonder my dad got an alarm system when we were growing up. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember hearing about I don't remember. I wasn't I was a uh 10 o'clock nightly news kid and I don't, you know, I was in Minneapolis in the 80s. I don't remember seeing all of this. I didn't read newspapers until I was like 16 or 17. So it was after this, um, well, after this. So the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, this is, we were more into the satanic panic because this is, this also is the same time
0: the satanic panic is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, in... um, So there were, like, a few murders in 1984 that they were able to eventually trace back to Ramirez, but it's just kind of, like, little pieces here and there, mm-hmm. you know? And then uh, 1985 is when the police start really understanding what happened. And I think that, like, as you were saying at the beginning... The thing that was so detrimental in this case was that Ramirez was flitting between different like police districts, mm-hmm. and like he uh, like had some murders in L.A. and kind of that surrounding area, some murders in San Francisco, and so people weren't really talking to each other. Uh, but let me see. So in uh, June. No, let me see, March 17th of 1985. Uh, Ramirez attacks um, a young woman in Rosemead, California. Uh, he shoots her in the face, she survives, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, he like breaks in the house and kills her roommate. Yeah, and then, like, literally within an hour of that, Ramirez uh, is pulls this woman out of her car Mm -hmm. in Monterey Park. So again, we have a different neighborhood. Shoots her twice and then just runs away. So yeah, it's like you have like these like very different like levels of involvement for him in like these crimes. There's like this like break in and anyway. uh, So like the police are like looking at this and they're just kind of like, well, maybe we have some sort of like murderer whose thing is like breaking in yeah you know and uh in the docuseries they actually uh talked to one of the police officers named detective Gil curio hmm. and he was really the person who's just kind of like i think we have a serial killer and he even says that he was a uh, Kind of a rookie detective on the homicide team, and so mm-hmm. people didn't really take him super seriously at first. Oh yeah, they all laughed at
1: him. They all thought he was trying to, you know, make a big old name for himself. Yeah, it's like but you know, right? Yeah, it's like what what happened with you, douchebags? What'd you do?
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, like. It is kind of frustrating, like, how much time passed before they really got the ball rolling Mm -hmm. on this. And, um, yeah, the evidence that they were finding at these crime scenes seemed also very random. Uh, But there was one key piece that kept on appearing, which was this shoe tread pattern. Yep. And they knew that this guy had to be just really tall because, I mean, he had really big feet. I guess you don't have to be really tall to have big feet, but I think Ramirez actually is quite tall. Yeah, he's about 6'2". And um, they had a hard time tracing down which exact shoe it was. And they eventually learned that there had only been like a thousand shipments of that shoe to the United States. A thousand pairs. A thousand pairs, yeah. Sorry. Yeah,
1: that's right. No, th- when they go through that in the show, it's fascinating. They they go to the inventor of the shoe, after going to all of the stores and just try picking up the. Then they go to the inventor of the shoe, and he gives them all these spreadsheets. Spoiler alert! And they find out that only one pair of of these black shoes was sent to L. A.
0: One pair. I was, like, very expecting them to just... Like, I knew that they wouldn't nab him because this happens in the first episode of the docu-series. But I'm like, oh, great, they know who this guy is. No. <laughs>
1: no. Cash only.
0: Nope. Um, yeah. And then something else is, is that they are starting to get, like, a sense... um, Because um, in the story, within the first couple of uh, victims in 1985... They had a few survivors, and one woman did, like, a sketch drawing, Mm -hmm. and she said also that he had just these terrible teeth. Yeah, and he,
1: his, his terrible, and he smelled really badly.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to, uh, oh, the shoes were called Avia Sneakers. Avia, yeah, Avia Sneakers. Um, so...
1: 10 days later, on March 27th, he enters a home that he had burglarized a year earlier in Whittier, California, um, and killed uh, Vincent Zazara, who who was sleeping with a gunshot to his head. Um, His wife, uh, Maxine, was in bed with him, was awakened by the gunshot, and Ramirez tied her up, beat her, and um, ransacked the house, and she escaped her, her I think it was electrical cord, Bonds, retrieving a shotgun from under the bed, but it wasn't loaded, and he shot her three times and then retrieved a knife, uh, stabbed her a couple of times. And I'm, just yeah, like, I'm just gonna
0: stop. I'm just mutilated the body. Yeah, I'm just gonna stop there because
1: yeah, there's there's more.
0: It. Nope. Uh, um, boy. Hmm. Um. But this was like pretty Jack the Ripper type stuff. Yeah.
1: So the they the when the cops showed up there, the detectives um Carrillo and um, what was his partner's name? Sorrento, Sorrento Serrano. <laughs> they matched. Bullets at that scene to um, other crime scenes. Yeah, that was the big take a- along with the footprints at that scene. They now had bullet yeah. casings that matched other crime scenes.
0: Yeah, and so this is like really kind of going into like, okay, we have a serial killer, and uh, it doesn't look like Wikipedia goes into this, but in the show, um. Gil is like at home with his wife, and he hears what sounds like somebody breaking in. And I don't think that there was any evidence left there, but there's like this heavy implication that, at least in his mind, he was worried that it could have been Richard Ramirez. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also it's like as LA is hearing about these murders, and then also there's this one reporter who is just like so like sharp-eyed and like spunky and she is like covering all this stuff in like minute detail
1: um you mean is she, you're talking about the one that blackmailed she, she blackmailed the police department for further information
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I, I don't fully i don't fully approve of that but i'm just kind of like I can see why you're a successful reporter. Yeah, I
1: I won't publish all the evidence that I have if you give me an exclusive interview. Like, that's basically what she did.
0: But she was just, like, dog with a bone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, But, like, you really get a sense of how scared people were, you know, like, as these murders start to snowball. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the car? Which one? He stole so many. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I actually don't know which one, because I had only really thought about... Which one was the one that got impounded? Do you know? Um, That was... He got pulled over
1: for a speeding ticket in that car. Mm-hmm. After he had tried to abduct a young girl. And there was an immediate APB out on him, because um, he had been thwarted in his efforts. So he's, he just got pulled over uh, for speeding. They didn't know it was a stolen car yet. And while he's got his hands on the hood, he hears the police officer's radio call out the APB for him. <laughs> and um, he, when the officer goes back to his uh, police car to, I don't know what, to... You know, check his identity or run yeah, the place so or whatever. Are, like, yeah, he takes off. Brains. He takes off from the scene after drawing a pentagram on the in the dust.
0: Yeah, but he like runs off, like he's yeah. On- yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's for.
1: I don't know what he's on. He's, he's maybe he's on LSD. He's clearly on speed or something. Like the the man is part of his world. Let's get high and go and fuck shit up. Yeah, that's, that's what he did.
0: Um, but then this car is important because this is like he's like slipping through their fingers. But now they actually have a piece of evidence that they can like do something with. Mm-hmm. But this is in L.A. And um, Detective Gill is with the sheriff's office. Yep. So Detective Gill and his team like call the LAPD and they're like, OK. I get it. You've impounded the car. Please, like, check it. Run prints. fingerprints. Run the prints. You know, um, and
1: like... And they agreed to. And they have fucking agreed to do it. Yeah. And guess what? They don't. They don't. In fact, they keep it in an impound lot outside.
0: For, like, months. For months. And so then by the time that... The sheriff's office is like, Where the fuck is this car? All of the DNA evidence has deteriorated to such a degree because of the sun and because of the heat that they can't really get any DNA from it.
1: Well, but, not DNA, DNA,
0: fingerprints. Fingerprints. Sorry. Yeah. I guess it's a bit early for DNA. Yep. Yeah. Um, but they do find a, uh, what's it yeah. called? Like a business card for a dentist? And they're like, okay, this makes sense. Like, this guy has terrible teeth. His mouth smells like it's rotting. Oh, he's so disgusting. Uh, so they uh, go to the dentist, and the dentist is just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, I've seen this guy. So, and he has an impacted tooth that is, like, really badly infected. And so they know that he is going to have to return to the dentist at some point to get this tooth pulled. And, um... So the LAPD, again, it's in L.A. proper, say that they will, um, like, send a guard, like a police officer, to sit in the waiting room and try to catch him. But, you know, like, it's like a few weeks and they don't get anyone. And the LAPD is just like, oh, this is costing taxpayers so much money. Oh, my God. And so the LAPD pulls out. Instead, they just give a panic button to the to the dentist, and are like, okay, if he comes in, hit this panic button, and we'll show up. Anyway, he shows up, and then he leaves.
1: Gets his and then gets his
0: teeth fixed, and he leaves. And then, like a few hours later, the la like the dentist like calls the cops. He's like, where were you? Like I've been hitting that panic button. It malfunctioned, or it's been set up. Did it really malfunction? Part of me is like, hmm, really?
1: Really? You don't think he hit it? I think he hit it. I don't think they connected it properly on purpose.
0: Really? Why? Turf. They wanted like the But like they still would have gotten credit for the arrest. I know.
1: I don't think it malfunctioned. I think they didn't do it right. I don't think they gave two shits about it. I thought they laughed it out. They didn't.
0: Yep. Anyway, I think that was the part where I really started like seeing red.
1: Yeah, and then I erupted at Diane Feinstein, but that's down the road. <laughs> um we're gonna uh let's let's just run through a couple more of these. Um, so in May of 1985, uh, Jude returns to the home of Bill Doy and his wife, 66 and 56, respectively. Um, Bill shot in the face, um, and by... And then binds Lillian with thumb cuffs, which is terrifying in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And then um, sexually assaults her, ransacks for valuables. Bill, while all of this is going on, though, is he got a call to nine one one off while this whole thing was going on. Um, but did later die of his injuries. His wife, Lillian, gave a solid description of Richard to the police plus they had did you see those thumb cuffs those are scariest they're like a torture device
0: they are like these know that they mentioned it but I didn't really look into flat
1: metal with round holes it's like it's like the stockade for your thumbs and they can be tightened really tightly
0: oh my god eh. yeah yeah mm-hmm.
1: awful um so after the doys, two weeks later, Ramirez um, is he goes he ends up in a stolen car at the house of the sisters Mabel and Florence, eighty three and eighty one, um, bludgeoning um, Florence in her bed and bludgeoning Mabel and using the electrical cord to shock her. I think that's as far as I'm going to go on that attack because it gets really bad. He did draw... This is where he started drawing pentagrams on the on the walls and the homes here.
0: Yeah, and they were talking also that he would go in and he would, like, eat their food and he would just, like...
1: Yeah, it's very reminiscent of the Golden State Killer where he would go and, like, eat their food and, um, like... It's just, like, dick-waving. Yeah, fiddle um, with their Mahjong boards. Uh... These women were found two days later alive. Two days later. Wow. Yeah. Um, Took that same car to Burbank and entered the home of Carol King at gunpoint. Bound her and her 11-year-old son up with handcuffs. Ransacked the house. um, And they both survived and he fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together with the same handcuffs. Nothing happened there. Mm -hmm. other then just terrorizing them for their valuables. Um, Yeah, I mean, we can go on and on through July. Stolen cars, attacks, Mary Louise Cannon. Blusher while she was sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, July 5th, broke into, a um, home, bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron while she slept. Um, attempted to strangle her, um, but he fled the house. Yeah. Believing, quote, believing that Jesus Christ intervened to save her.
0: So, um, there is one that, I, that felt like um, like instant karma mm. against Ramirez. Are you talking about the Peterson's? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was something.
0: So on August 6, 1985, uh, Ramirez goes to Northridge um, neighborhood in slash near LA. I have no idea. I've been to California once, twice. Uh, so again, he breaks in, he creeps to the bedroom. Um, and then Virginia is 27. He shoots her in the face, and it doesn't hit anything vital. I mean, she's shot in the face, but she's like, she survives. She's yeah, okay. It,
1: it, flies through then, her si- it just flies through her sinuses out the back side of her head. It doesn't hit anything.
0: She's yeah. so goddamn lucky. And so she's like, "What?" <laughs> and then her husband, I believe, Chris, is shot in the neck. Mm-hmm. And then Chris is like, "Oh no, you don't." He leaps up and just runs after Ramirez,
1: chases him out of the fucking house. It's just it's just like, as Gil Carrillo said, if I shot someone in the head and they keep
0: coming at me, I'd be running away too. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? And so I was just like, man, I really hope that he, like, shot his pants.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. This is also, that case is also when they learned that he was following the news coverage of his crimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Because, where, where where did that come from? Oh, yeah, because he went immediately.
0: Where did he, didn't he go up to San Francisco after that? Right after that? Shortly after, there was one more crime two days later, and then he went up to San Francisco. Okay. Um,
1: in the San Francisco home, that's where he started writing uh, he wrote jack a knife and scrawled pentagrams and lipstick and shit on the wall, after killing the patriarch of the family and brutally attacking the mother. Do you remember how they figured out he was watching the news? Oh, I do, because he stopped using electrical cords. Oh, because they
0: released that information? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. He stopped using electrical cords. That's what what it was.
0: Yeah, and so far in this, um, up to up till this exact point, um, they've been, the police have been um, very judicious in what was released to the media, which, as anyone with like a quarter of a brain knows, uh, is so that when they have suspects, and they investigate you, and they ask you questions, and they say like, hey, what shoes do you wear, or whatever, um, they can like cross reference the information that you're saying, um, you know, like they want there to be certain details that only the killer knows so that yep. can confirm that you're the guy. Exactly. So what happens instead? <laughs> so This is attack. I have
1: serious this bitch is still in the Senate too. Like I wonder about the nuclear codes at this point. Um, I hope she learned a lesson. So at the time in San Francisco, Diane Feinstein was mayor and the police department up there um notified the mayor's office and she goes and holds a fucking press conference and gives away all of the secrets she gives away the shoe print she gives away the uh caliber of bullets she gives away all kinds of shit like she gives away all of it on the press conference
0: yeah thanks di and apparently it was that the um, San Francisco PD didn't, like, adequately say that uh, certain information meant to be kept private. And I'm like, well, it doesn't take, a like, a surgeon, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that maybe you should not release all of this information.
1: How is the public going to know about the eleven size 11.5 avia footprint?
0: Yeah, like, how are they? What, like, why is why do you need to tell anyone? That?
1: Just gonna be walking down the sidewalk and find one.
0: Like, come no. on, come on. And of course, after that, he loses the shoes. He got rid of the shoes, and I think he got rid of the gun too. Like at the time, he was using a very specific type of bullet, mm-hmm. and he changed all that. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um he you want to Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I
0: said you want to go into like I mean, it's just it's just like more of the same. Oh, he also gets nicknamed the night stalker, which he loved. Yeah. Well, they used to call him
1: like the one name
0: one newspaper in LA called him the walk-in
1: killer. I was like, "Come on, people. What's that?" Yeah. That's not it's not that's like takeout food. What the fuck is that? That's not Of course he loves the Night Stalker.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's like they did so many things wrong. So
1: many things. I hope they learned their lessons, but I hope the dick wagging stopped, but I don't think it did. Um you wanna talk about his capture? Because that was very entertaining.
0: Yes, I would. <laughs> uh So, you know, uh, by now, like, they've kind of been figuring out more and more information about Ramirez. Uh, In one of his most recent attacks, the police were able to get a new footprint. Uh, They also found a, a car that had been stolen from one of the, I think, survivors, and this car is really what leads to their break because they find a single fingerprint. Yep. And on the rear view mirror. They are able to see that it belongs to Richard Ramirez, uh, who again has this rap sheet of like arrest and traffic violations and like drug violations, all sorts of stuff. So they are able to like just straight up release his mugshot.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um,
1: he was out of town when that happened.
0: Yeah. And uh, they're able to uh track down one of his friends, and it, it's like unclear to me if Ramirez was like a vagrant at the time, but his friend certainly was, and his friend's like, oh, I think that's like you're talking about like Richie or Ricky or there was some sort of like necklace that Richard Ramirez had like stolen or like they had sorry I'm like rambling because I'm trying to remember well no
1: my my understanding is is Ramirez hung out at the bus station
0: in LA because that's how
1: he got to San Francisco and he was at the time they released his mugshot he was in Tucson yeah so he hung out at the bus station a lot And that's where he met this other dude.
0: Yeah. And so this other guy, like, calls in a tip, (laughs) And he's like, I think I have something that is connected to these Night Stalker murders. And so the police go and they talk to him. And they're like, I don't know this guy's last name. But his name is, like, Ricky or Richie or something. And so the police are able to be like, okay, Richard Ramirez. We have Richie. We have this, like, object that seems to have, like, been tied to one of the crimes. So then they go to Richard Ramirez's brother. Right? And uh he like helps them. Wasn't wasn't he the person who did? There was like someone that was like close to Richard Ramirez who's like, okay, so here's what's actually going on. And it is it- definitely this person.
1: Wow. Um Yeah, a sibling, but I don't remember if it was a brother or a sister. I thought it was a sister, but I could have read that today because I read a lot today about it, too.
0: (laughs) But it's like at this point, it's like Richard Ramirez is still ahead of the cops, but like only just.
1: Barely. And it's only because he's out of town. Had he never come back to L.A.? And gone south to Mexico or wherever he decided to go. He could have buried himself in the United States for a really long time had he not come back.
0: Yeah. But, but he, he does. He, he seems, like, incredibly arrogant, too. I mean, he's, like, showing off. He's doing these crimes because he likes to commit crimes. Yeah.
1: So he, But he does though. He takes the bus back to Tucson, has no idea that his mugshot... <laughs> from December of nineteen eighty four is now on the front page of every paper and on posters and on news everywhere, and he gets off the bus and he goes into a goddamn liquor store, and sees his face on the newspapers.
0: Yeah, and so he freaks out.
1: <laughs> he freaks fuck out. Hops on and hops on another bus. Um, a person on that bus gets off the bus, calls like stops at a payphone calls the cops, commandeers some, um, like, like what we call in New York a con-ed truck with the driver. It's like, follow that bus! <laughs> the copters show up, Richard gets off the fucking bus and just starts running on foot towards East L.A., mm-hmm. which is a neighborhood. But East L.A. is just a neighborhood. Uh, and that's where... The people of East L.A. were so fucking amazing. They saw him running through their neighborhood, and they basically tackled him, beat him up, and held him till the cops showed up. Yeah. That's how he went down.
0: That's great. That's so good.
1: It's so fucking good.
0: And it also just speaks to, like, how fed up, you know, like, you can't do this to our city. No. People were we're over you bitch time yeah. for you to go um
1: we could do a whole nother episode on the trial antics cuz it took 4 years to get him to trial yeah um but i want to go over while he was in jail i want to read you this questionnaire since we have a couple minutes okay the questionnaire was actually put out by this um magazine book series called answer me very controversial i'm not going to go into it they're kind of a bunch of dicks um but this was in volume 4 you can google it and um it's like a it's like a teeny bopper quiz that they sent him in jail and here are the q and a's i'm not going to go into favorite sports cuz it's irrelevant he loves heavy metal music favorite actress samantha strong favorite vacation spot Uranus, because he's 12. Favorite food? Women's feet. Yes. Yeah. Favorite color? Red. Pastimes? Traveling and measuring coffins. Biggest like? Cocaine. Biggest dislike? Hip- hypocrisy. Um, what do you look for in a girl? Nice ass. Perfect way to spend a date? Moonlit night drinking rum in a cemetery.
0: Which, is that his perfect date? I feel like his perfect date is
1: murdering people. That's my perfect date, not his. Just so we're clear. Um, describe yourself. Asshole and proud of it. If you like a girl, how do you get a girl to notice you? I pull out my gun. Uh... And um, what's your message to your fans? Keep your spirit
0: strong. About- he even has fans.
1: He got married in prison.
0: Yeah, that's like uh, so it's like Richard Ramirez is conventionally sort of attractive, sort of barely.
1: Well, look, if we if he didn't do any of these things, he'd be a hot motherfucker. The fact that he is the creepiest motherfucker on the planet that changes your view of him.
0: No, I know. And it's like, okay, so in this documentary, they have this point where he is, like, winking at, like, the, like, the teenage girls who show up to his trial. And they're talking about, like, his, the Ramirez, like, fan club and stuff. And I'm like, never in my life have I watched a show about a serial killer and been so convinced that if I were in the same room as him, I would be dead. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, he literally looks like he's going to reach through your TV and murder you. Well, it's, it's so crazy because he shows up in that really sharp black
1: suit with that perfectly starched white collar and these big black sunglasses. Yeah, he looks and like he, he's in a band. He looks like he's a celebrity. Like, a, a proper celebrity. Not not celebrity by murder. Right? Yeah. And he acts like it. He's constantly looking over his shoulder and, like, waving at these girls sitting in the audience in the gal it's just like you do know that you're breakfast if you if you get into a room with him yeah breakfast and then he marries what's her name she was a uh, newspaper editor magazine editor bros yeah um Doreen Le- Leoy. She wrote him seventy-five letters during his incarceration, and then, of course, he proposed, and they got married in October of ninety-six. Mm. She she only divorced him when the DNA came in in two thousand nine, after he it was confirmed that he raped and murdered nine-year-old Mei Lung. Really, that's that. That's, that's when a she, breaking point. That's when he. It was. It was a bar too far.
0: So, she's terrible.
1: hmm He was, at the time of his death in 2013, engaged to Christine Lee, a 23-year-old writer.
0: That is so gross. Uh...
1: Yes, he was sentenced to death. He spent 23 years on death row and died of uh, kidney failure.
0: Yeah. Caused by leukemia, I think. Anyway... Um, yeah, so he sucks. Um, <laughs> mm. he
1: is literally in my, it does. I mean, in my mind, he is the epitome of a serial killer. Like this is the boogeyman. Yeah. He literally is the boogeyman. So. Um... Okay.
0: <laughs> Thanks for listening. And that's all we have for this week. Chin up, people. Uh, I'm going to go drink something. New administration.
1: Vaccine's coming. Go have a drink. at 7.29 p.m.
0: On Wednesday. Tuesday. Wednesday? I don't know what day it is. Tuesday. Got it. (laughs) January 26th. Anyway, we are speaking to you from the past. Mm-hmm. All right. So next week we will cover something that will be lighter because there really anything will be lighter than this. So anyway,
1: that is true. Except our own, we have a Brooklyn serial killer, which we don't know anything about other than what happened briefly. So we could probably just drop it in a potpourri. If we want to.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for joining us,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: we'll catch you next week.
1: Later days.